Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, August 7th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topics, definitely worth your while to get on over there and check it out. I will guarantee you, you will find at least something to listen to. And I'm feeling pretty safe and telling you, I'm pretty positive that you'll find more to listen to than you have time to listen. Um, I know that's happened to me and it's happened to a number of other folks, but but definitely I <laughs> I think it's worth your while to get on over there. I would also, also point you at the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very, very thorough description of what we're trying to do over there. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, we're back on Monday. We're in the week. So we're going to continue on in our reading. Let's see. We're in Ezra and 1 Corinthians and Psalms and Proverbs. But what we're also going to be doing... In the evening segment, we'll be continuing on in our Bible study in <clears throat> in John chapter 11, uh, dealing with all of that around the uh, death of Lazarus. So, uh, still in that first segment of it. So, <clears throat> excuse me, let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up with the second day morning prayer, God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. Now our morning devotion, the text for it is from Song of Solomon 1 verse 4, or the Song of Songs as I prefer to call it. The upright love thee, 
Believers love Jesus with a deeper, I'm sorry, believers love Jesus with a deeper affection than they dare to give to any other being. They would sooner lose father and mother than part with Christ. They hold all earthly comforts with a loose hand, but they carry him fast locked in their bosoms. They voluntarily deny themselves for his sake, but they are not to be driven to deny him. It is scant love which the fire of persecution can dry up. The true believer's love is a deeper stream than this. Men have labored to divide the faithful from their master, but their attempts have been fruitless in every age. Neither crowns of honor, nor now, I'm sorry, neither crowns of honor, now frowns of anger, have untied this more than Gordian knot. This is no everyday attachment which the world's power may at length dissolve. Neither man nor devil have found a key which opens this lock. Never has the craft of Satan been more at fault than when he has exercised it in seeking to rend and sunder this union of two divinely welded hearts. It is written, and nothing can blot out the sentence, The upright love thee. The intensity of the love of the upright, however, is not so much to be judged by what it appears as by what the upright long for. It is our daily lament that we cannot love enough. Would that our hearts were capable of holding more and reaching further. Like Samuel Rutherford, we sigh and cry. Oh, for as much love as would go around about the earth and over heaven, yea, the heaven of heavens, and ten thousand worlds, that I might let all out upon fair, fair, only fair Christ. Alas, our longest reach is but a span of love, and our affection is but as a drop of a bucket compared with his deserts. Measure our love by our intentions, and it is high indeed. Tis thus we trust our Lord doth sorry, tis thus we trust our Lord doth judge of it. Oh that we could give all the love and all hearts in one great mass, a gathering together of all loves to him who is altogether lovely. Alright. And now our scripture and we gotta back up there for a minute. Okay. So we're gonna be reading in Ezra four verse twenty four. All the way through the end of Ezra 6, we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 through 23, which is the end of the chapter. We're going to read Psalm 29 and then Proverbs 20, verse 26 and 27. We're almost at the end of Proverbs 20 there. So, Ezra 4, verse 24. Then the work on the house of God in Jerusalem stopped, and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So that was King Artaxerxes telling them to stop after the weird reports he got. Um, from others living in the area of Israel that didn't want these people rebuilding the walls in the temple. So let me read verse 24 again. Then the work on the house of God in Jerusalem stopped, and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. All right, Ezra 5. And the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At that time, Tatani, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bosani and their colleagues came to them and spoke to them thus, Who issued you a decree to rebuild this house and to complete this structure? Then we told them accordingly what the names of the men were who were rebuilding this building. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until a report could come to Darius, and then a document be returned concerning this. 
This is the copy of the letter which Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bosanai and his colleagues, the officials who were beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. Um, I believe the river they're talking about is the Euphrates, and basically they're saying everything west of the Euphrates. So this is basically everything from from what would have been Persia at that time all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. So I'm sorry, let me go back and read verse 9 again. So Ezra 5, I'm sorry, verse 6, Ezra 5, verse 6. This is the copy of the letter which Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bosanai and his colleagues, the officials who were beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent word to him in which it was written thus, To Darius the king, all peace, let it be known to the king that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, and it is being built with the with the with huge stones and timber is being put within the walls and that work is going on with all diligence and is succeeding in their hands then we asked those elders and said to them thus who issued you a decree to rebuild this house and to complete this structure and we also asked them their names in order to make known to you and that we might write down the names of the men who were at their head thus they responded with a word to us saying we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and took the people away into, into exile in Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. Also the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to the temple of Babylon, these King Cyrus took out from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he had appointed governor. He said to him, Take these articles, go and deposit them in the temple in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt in its place. Then that Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God in Jerusalem, and from then until now it is being rebuilt and it is not yet finished. So now it seems good to the king. So now, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon. If it be that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild that house of God in Jerusalem, and let the king send us his will concerning this matter. Ezra six. Then King Darius issued a decree, and a search was made in the archives, where the treasures were deposited in Babylon. And in Ecbatana, in the fortress which is in the province of Medea, or Media, a scroll was found, and there was written in it as follows. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God in Jerusalem. Let that house, the place where sacrifices are offered, be rebuilt, and let its foundations be retained, its height being sixty cubits and its width sixty cubits, with three layers of huge stones and one layer of timbers, and let the cost be given from the royal treasury, and also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God which Nebuchadnezzar took out from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon be returned and brought to their place in the temple in Jerusalem, and you shall deposit them in the house of God. Now Tatnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bosanai, and their colleagues, the officials of the provinces beyond the river, keep away from there. Leave that work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild that house of God in its designated place. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning what you shall do for those elders of Judah in the rebuilding of that house of God. The full cost is to be given to those people from the royal treasury out of the tribute of the provinces beyond the river, and that without negligence. 
whatever is needed, both young bulls, rams, and lambs for a burnt offering to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, wine, and anointing oil, according to what the priests in Jerusalem say, it is to be given to them daily without negligence, that they may bring sweet-smelling sacrifices nearer to the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And I issued a decree that any man who violates this edict, a timber shall be pulled out from his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a refuse heap on account of this. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who stretches out his hand to change it, so as to destroy that house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be done with all diligence." Then Tatani, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bosani, and their colleagues carried out the decree with all diligence, just as King Darius had sent. And the elders of the Jews were building and succeeding through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. So they built and completed it according to the decree of the God of Israel, and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was brought to completion on the third day of the month Adar. It was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And the sons of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They brought near for the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, corresponding to the number of the tribes of Israel. Then they appointed the priests to their sections and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the exiles celebrated the Passover on the fourteenth of the first month, for the priests and the Levites had cleansed themselves together, all of them were clean. Then they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, both for their brothers, the priests, and for themselves. Then the sons of Israel who returned from exile and all those who had separated themselves from the uncleanness of the nations of the land to join them, to seek Yahweh, the God of Israel, ate the Passover. And they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with gladness, for Yahweh had caused them to be glad and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. All right. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 to the end of the chapter. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, just so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a sanctuary of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him. For the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. 
Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. All right. Psalm 29, a Psalm of David. Ascribe to Yahweh, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength, ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name, worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. The voice of Yahweh is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. Yahweh is over many waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of splendor. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Indeed, Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of Yahweh hews out flames of fire. The voice of Yahweh causes the wilderness to tremble. Yahweh causes the wilderness of Kadesh to tremble. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calf and strips the forest bare. And in his temple everything says glory. Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. Yahweh will give strength to his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. Finally, Proverbs 20, verse 26 and 27. A wise king winnows the wicked and turns the threshing wheel over them. The breath of man is the lamp of Yahweh searching all the innermost parts of his body. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope this time in the Word is beneficial to you. It edifies you. It equips you. It keeps you saturated in the Word. I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. The prayer we're going to use from Valley of Vision is actually called In Prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, in prayer I launch far out into the eternal world, and on that broad ocean my soul triumphs. Over all I'm sorry, my soul triumphs over all evils on the shores of mortality. Time, with its gay amusements and cruel disappointments, never appears so inconsiderate as then. In prayer I see myself as nothing. I find my heart going after thee with intensity, and long with vehement thirst to live to live to thee. Blessed be the strong gales of the Spirit that speed me on my way to the new Jerusalem. In prayer all things here below vanish, and nothing seems important but holiness of heart and the salvation of others. In prayer all my worldly cares, fears, anxieties disappear, and are as of, of, and are of as little significance as a puff of wind. In prayer my soul inwardly exults with lively thoughts at what thou art doing for thy church, and I long that thou shouldst get thyself a great name from sinners returning to Zion. In prayer I am lifted above the frowns and flatteries of life, and taste heavenly joys, entering into the eternal world. I can give myself to thee with all my heart, to be thine forever. In prayer I can place all my concerns in thy hands, to be entirely at thy disposal having no will or interest of my own. In prayer I can intercede for my friends, ministers, sinners, the church, thy kingdom to come, with greatest freedom, ardent hopes, as a son to his father, as a lover to the beloved, 
Help me to be all prayer and never to cease praying. Amen. Well, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, August 7th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, we did our Bible reading this morning and we're going to continue on in our Bible study in John chapter 11, dealing with uh, the death and resurrection of Lazarus. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. The prayer we're going to open up with from Valley of Vision is called Weaknesses. Weaknesses. Let's pray. O Spirit of God, help my infirmities when I am pressed down with a load of sorrow, perplexed in knowing not what to do, slandered and persecuted, made to feel the weight of the cross. Help me, I pray thee, if thou seest in me any wrong things incur any wrong thing encouraged, any evil desire cherished, any delight that is not thy delight, any habit that grieves thee, any nest of sin in my heart, then grant me the kiss of thy forgiveness, and teach my feet to walk the way of thy commandments. Deliver me from carking care, and make me a happy, holy person. Help me to walk the separated life with firm and brave steps, and to wrestle successfully against weakness. Teach me to laud, adore, and magnify thee with the music of heaven, and make me a perfume of praise of I'm sorry, of praiseful gratitude to thee. I do not crouch at thy feet as a slave before a tyrant, but exult before thee as a son with a father. Give me power to live as thy child in all my actions, and to exercise sonship by conquering self. Preserve me from the intoxication that comes of prosperity. Sober me when I am glad, with a joy that comes not from thee. Lead me safely on to the eternal kingdom, not asking whether the road be rough or smooth. I request only to see the face of him I love, to be content with bread to eat, with raiment to put on, if I can be brought to thy house in peace. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion, uh, the text for it is from 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Uh, the word, the the I'm sorry, the text itself is Satan hindered us since the first hour in which goodness came into conflict with evil. It has never ceased to be true in spiritual experience that Satan hinders us from all points of the compass all along the line of battle in the vanguard and in the rear at the dawn of day and in the midnight hour. Satan hinders us. If we toil in the field, he seeks to break the plowshare. If we build the wall, he labors to cast down the stones. If we would serve God in suffering or in conflict, everywhere Satan hinders us. He hinders us when we are first coming to Jesus Christ. Fierce conflicts we had with Satan when we first looked to the cross and lived. Now that we are saved, he endeavors to hinder the completeness of our personal character. You may be congratulating yourselves. I have hitherto walked consistently. No man can challenge my integrity. Beware of boasting. For your virtue mm, for your virtue will yet be tried. Satan will direct his engines against that very virtue for which you are the most famous. If you have been hitherto a firm believer, your faith will ere long be attacked. If you have been meek as Moses, expect to be tempted to speak unadvisedly with your lips. 
The birds will peck at your ripest fruit, and the wild boar will dash his tusk at your choicest vines. Satan is sure to hinder us when we are earnest in prayer. He checks our importunity and weakens our faith in order that, if possible, we may miss the blessing. Nor is Satan less vigilant in obstructing Christian effort. There was never a revival of religion without a revival of his opposition. As soon as Ezra and Nehemiah began to begin to labor, Sanballat and Tobiah are stirred up to hinder them. What then? We are not alarmed because Satan hindereth us, for it is a proof that we are on the Lord's side and are doing the Lord's work, and in his strength we shall win the victory and triumph over our adversary. There we go. Absolutely. And we were just reading about, um, in our Bible reading, we are reading about Ezra and some of the first um, issues people were having with them trying to build and Darius having to issue a new um, a new declaration to make clear that folks need to leave them alone and fund what they were doing with the temple. Well, all right. Well, we are, we are jumping on into our Bible study for the evening. Uh, like I said, we're continuing in John chapter 11. Uh, this whole section of John 11 is about the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Um, and we had kind of broke, we had seen it kind of breaks down into a number of different sections. Um, so, well, let, let's give a little context here. So basically Jesus has been going back and forth and back and forth with the Jews as John, the John, the apostle refers to them, the Jews, when he says Jews, he's talking about the Jewish leadership, that religious leadership. Okay. He's not talking about just the random Jewish person on the street, street, the ra random Hebrew. He was talking about the Jewish leadership and Jesus has been going back and forth with them. And he's been repeatedly making clear to them and showing them all the evidence, including his miracles, that he is the Christ, the son of God, the Messiah, um, the son of man, which is a messianic title. He's been showing that repeatedly and they've been constantly, they're just, they're, they're spiritually blind. They're, they're unwilling to accept this in any way, shape or form, though they should be the ones who know it the most. And we watch that through chapter 10. Um, just the, the, and, and especially at the end of chapter 10, we saw that rejecting the claims of Christ, that they were just unwilling to reject the claims of Christ. So in that case, and, and, and we have to remember, so that last part, so chapter 10, uh, the beginning part of it is the kind of the, the, well, all of chapter 10, that is kind of, that is the end of Jesus public ministry. Okay. That is the end of his public ministry. And like I said, from verse, um, or from John chapter seven through, the first part of John 10 to verse 21 all happened around the Feast of Booths, which was six months before the final Passover where Jesus was crucified. So that's about six months out. So that happened. But between verse 21 and 22, we jumped about two months because what happened at from verse 22 to 42, which ended verse 10 or chapter 10 is um, the Feast of Dedication, which which we now call Hanukkah. It was the celebration of the Israelites. Um again, um, triumphing over Antiochus Epiphanes, um, and, and reestablishing the temple and stuff like that. Um, so that was intertestamental stuff. That was stuff that happened intertestamentally. Um, but so the, so again, that was two months later. So that's four months before the, uh, that final Passover that I mentioned. So chapter 11 this stuff around Lazarus happens between those two. We don't know exactly when it doesn't say exactly when. And, and like I said before, I'd actually thought it was part of what happened. It was part of the lead up to passion week. 
that's not necessarily so. I, it could be, but, but I doubt it. And, and I, for some reason I was thinking it was, but honestly, per the gospel of John, it doesn't really indicate that. And, and it's true. The, in, in the other gospels, there's no real indication of that. So, um, again, so somewhere between the feast of dedication and the pass at that final Passover, that final passion week for Jesus, this happens. And so we saw, and, and actually let me go back and I'm going to read to you, uh, the first six verses here. We'll just start from there and I'm going to go ahead and read to you all of the verses of this first section. And like we said, this part with La this, this situation with Lazarus, we were going to see, um, and, and we saw it. And, and like I've told you before, I, I use MacArthur's, uh, commentary headers and stuff because it's just easier to break stuff down this way but but this is a whole section this whole section about it is called the resurrection and the life and we end up seeing that that you know both is he's resurrection re resurrecting lazarus but he's showing himself that he is the resurrection and the life jesus is um so that's john chapter 11 but um and we saw this part one we they're kind of broken into pieces and, and it's kind of the preparation for Jesus's arrival, which is verse one through 16. We see Jesus's arrival, which is verse 17 through, I forget, verse 30 something. And then Jesus performing the miracle and then what's after. So this first section is actually called sickness for the glory of God. And, and that's the section we're in today. And so we saw the critical man, Lazarus, the concerned citizens, sisters, excuse me, Mary and Martha. And we're going to see the cautious disciples to wrap up this section today, but, um, which is going to be verses seven through 16, but I'm going to go ahead and read you from verse one through verse 16, and then we'll dive into the verses we're dealing with today. So, uh, John 11 verse one. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days in the place where he was. Now into our verses for today. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. He said these things. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go so that I may awaken him. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be saved from his sickness. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of actual sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So, <clears throat> again, like I said, we saw the critical man, we saw Lazarus, and we saw the sisters, and we saw them send that message to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus, okay, I got it, and they wait two more days. 
And then now he wants to go. And of course, like we talked about it, he wasn't stalling two days being uncaring. There's a purpose here. He knows what's going on here. So again, Jesus, we got to remember, Jesus has been going back and forth and back and forth. And multiple times, these Jews, the Jewish leadership has attempted to apprehend him to deal with him and and fatally to deal with him okay don't ever miss don't ever forget that so again we're going to see these cautious disciples here because here's where jesus decides okay we're going to go now again lazarus is in the bethany near judea um where jesus has been is the bethany across the jordan river okay two different places <clears throat> so again jesus says verse seven then after he after this they had waited the two days. He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. You have to realize he, he's, <laughs> he's as aware as the, as the disciples are, you know, we're going to see what the disciples say here in chapter and verse eight, but he's as aware as anybody else that these Jews want to kill him. Okay. But the disciples respond to him. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? And think, honestly, the text of this last part, and, and are you going there again? That, that Greek syntax is they're expecting him to answer no. He's not going there again because they just don't understand the concept of going there again. Again, like I've said, things are getting stirred up. Okay, believe me, we're, 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 we're going to see the Jewish leadership stirring things up to the point where in the passion week, even the ra regular citizens are going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Even after seven days before saying Hosanna, Hosanna, as he came into the city. So, you know, it is crazy there in Judea. And the fact is he's safer where he is. And the fact is he has a burgeoning ministry. We see that at the end of chapter 10, People are coming. People are believing. People are coming to a saving faith in Christ out there. There are people that are truly believing, not just being impressed by miracles. They are truly believing. He's having a functionally successful ministry where he is. So it, it logically, it doesn't seem to make sense for him to leave. But look at Jesus's response here in verse nine. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. So, so let's, let's, so we don't really understand this because we do the whole daylight savings time and stuff moving around in different time zones and all that kind of stuff. Basically what the Jews is, is their day was basically six out. They, they, they broke their day into 12 segments of time, 12 hours, whether they were our 12 hours or not, but into 12 hours. And middle of the day was the sixth hour. Obviously, the third hour was halfway from when light came up till that middle of the day. And the ninth hour was halfway between the middle of the day and when the sun went down at twilight. So, but what he's saying is, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Basically, he's talking about here, he's talking about his public ministry. He's talking about the fact that while he is still here and while it is still not yet time, remember, this is all in God's time. And we've seen this throughout and we've actually specifically talked about it, that Jesus is working on God's timetable, not man's. So the fact is, 
Jesus will not be taken and crucified until it's God's time for him to do so. And he knows this, but he knows he needs to go deal with this Lazarus situation and that they need to come with him. And so what he's saying is, I'm still here. If anyone walks in the day, meaning while Jesus is still there, again, we got to remember the beginning of John, that he's the light and they, um, actually, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to make a click, click, click and go back there because we, I want to read it the way it says it in John one. And I'm not having, I'm having to do this electronically. Um, here we go in him, uh, John one chapter or verse four in him was life. The speaking of Christ in him was life and the, and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overtake it. He's that light. Um, and then it says it, um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there we go. There was the true light. This is speaking of, of Jesus. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Um, we'll see. Um, I'm actually looking, um, sorry. And I didn't really prepare this. I, for this part, because I didn't think I was going to do this. But so anyways, it's, it's very, very clear that Jesus is that light. And so that's what he's speaking of is here is that he's that light. Um, and so while that light is still here, you can walk and not stumble. So he needs to go ahead and stumble because he sees the light of this world. But verse 10, he, he goes on, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Again, he's acknowledging there that his death is coming and that after he's gone, it's going to be hard and they're going to stumble. But what he's saying is we've got to go do these things. We've got to go do this while I'm still here. I, I have, I still have tasks to do while I'm still here within God's timeline. This is what he's talking about. So verse 11, he said these things. And after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him. Now, please don't misunderstand. He's not talking about actual sleep. Sleep is regularly used within the, within the new Testament to refer to death. In some cases, spiritual death, but in a lot of cases, physical death as well. Okay. So he makes that reference and tells them that, well, the disciples respond to him because they misunderstand, which happens a lot. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be saved from his sickness. So they're thinking, Hey, he's finally being able to sleep. He's getting his rest. He's going to be getting better. Like, like we say, um, shoot, whenever I've gotten a cold or bronchitis or whatever, if I can get to the point that I'm breathing well enough that I can actually sleep, I can start getting better. That's their thought process there. Okay. That that's what they're dealing with there. So that's what they're thinking because they're not grasping that he's speaking of him being dead. So verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of actual sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So Lazarus is dead. He tells them clearly that Lazarus is dead. So he then goes on. Okay. He says, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay. Please don't misunderstand this. It'd be really, really easy to read the beginning of verse 15 and go, wow, how callous is that? Jesus isn't glad that Lazarus died. 
it's it's not that or that or that those around him like his sisters who jesus loves are having to deal with the grief of that what he's glad about is that he wasn't there so that now there is the chance so again so that you may believe he's speaking to disciples he says there and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to prevent that so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, he's he's not trying to say you don't already have saving faith. What he's looking at is the, the ability to build up their strength. We've got to think of what they're about to go through. We've got to think about what they're about to go through um, sometime within the next four months or so um, with not being sure where this Lazarus thing happens between that four months out, the feast of dedication and that last Passover, but somewhere in there, but in that time frame, what they're going to end up dealing with in that last passion week, you know, everything looks great. Jesus is back there. Here's the Passover. They've had the last supper, all of this great stuff. Things seems to be going great. The fact is nobody's come after him. They've come into the city. Hosanna, Hosanna, um, Jesus even makes the claim, you know, they tell him, tell him to be quiet. And he says, if I, if I told, if I quieted them, even the rocks would, would, would cry out, you know, it's, it's all of that. And before they know it, he's been crucified and buried. So they're about to face the, 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 <laughs> what has to be one of the harshest tests of a disciple you can think of. That this man, I mean, cause again, they're not, they're not you and me looking back from 2000 years ahead and already know the, knowing the end of the story. Okay. They love Jesus. They trust Jesus. They've seen the miracles he's done. They know, I, I mean, at least in some sense, they're starting to grasp that this is the son of God, that this, this truly is the Messiah, but I'm sure they're still struggling with a little bit. They're still, you know, trying to get, they're like we were as baby Christians, stumbling along and fumbling and, oh, this is Christian and chasing after it and they realize, no, 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 that's false. That's false. And having to run from it or, oh, no, that is only Christian name, you know, some music or a book or whatever. So, so they're still at that very young stage, no matter how much they're getting direct teaching from Jesus. So what he's glad about is the fact that he can go and show them this. They can see this miracle and it can strengthen their faith. It can buoy them up. We got to remember uh, what Jesus ends up saying to Peter, that Peter is going to have to, that, that he's going to need Peter to be strong for his brothers when all this happens to keep them strong so they can do the mission they're called to. Okay. And I'm paraphrasing cause I don't remember the exact chapter and verse, but he does. Jesus says that to him, that, that Peter has got to be strong to buoy them up. So this is what he's saying is I'm glad that I was not there for your sakes, that I was not there so that you may believe so that your belief will get stronger, but let us go to him. And here, though we don't hear a lot from him, and everybody thinks of him as doubting Thomas, we see D Thomas manifest some serious bravery here. Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Now, now he's being a little bit of a pessimist, but considering everything that's happened to this point, it's not that surprising for him to think, yeah, they're, they're, they're basically going to kill him and kill us, you know, when we go, but let's go with him. He, he, he's our disciple. It's, um, <laughs> pastor Jay, 
um, did doing children's sermon this morning and popped up his, his umbrella and was talking about rain coming down. If I want to stay dry, I stay under the umbrella. And he was telling all the kids it was children's message. So he started walking around and he told the kids, you know, if you want to stay dry, you got to stay close to me. And he was using it as a metaphor for with faith. If we want our faith to stay strong, our, our faith to grow, we've got to stay by Christ. We have to follow Christ. We've got to stay up under the umbrella kind of thing. And it was a great picture. Well, this is kind of what Thomas, that this is how I see Thomas here talking about it is let's follow him. He is our Christ. He, he is our Messiah. He is, he is our rabbi. We must follow him. We've got to follow him. And again, so if you've never known this, where it says, therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, basically Thomas is the Hebrew and Didymus is the Greek. They both mean twin. Okay. But basically Thomas here, who everybody talks about doubting Thomas, except he shows this bravery. Now, to be honest, when we see Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gets taken, everybody scatters. And, and it's everybody. He runs with everybody else. And you understand it. But at the same time, he was part of those original disciples going out and bringing the gospel. So, but he manifests that strength. And, and, and hopefully we would be the same thing. We would be the same way. We would hope we would be the same way. Though I'm not going to look at it and go, oh yeah, I'm going to want to walk back. Because basically they're walking back into the lion's den. They're walking back into the lion's den. They've got every reason to believe that if they go back into Bethany, even though they're not going directly into Jerusalem, they go back into that part of Judea, that they're going to be persecuted. And, and like Pastor Jay talked about in his sermon today, we're not talking persecution like people, um, people blocking, blocking your Twitter account or giving you ugly looks or even just losing your job. Like he talked about, you had Christians in the first century that got, that got stuck on poles and, and covered in tar and lit to be torches. So Nero could look at his flowers. So it would light his flowers in his garden at night. Okay. That's basically what they're walking into. They're, they're walking into the fact that it would be very possible for the, for the Jews, the Jewish leadership to drive the crowd to the point of grabbing these guys, running, running them out of town and stoning them to death before any kind of trial or anything else happens. No real justice, no real anything, just driving them to that point. I mean, how many times did that almost happen to Paul? And in one case, it did happen to Paul, and he didn't it didn't have any legal recourse. So they've got every right to expect that. But there's Thomas. Let us also go so that we may die with him. But here's Jesus saying, I'm glad I wasn't there. Of course, like I said, he's not glad that Lazarus is dead or that Mary and Martha and anybody else involved is going through the grief, but that he could, that, that they, when they go with him, their, their faith will be strengthened by what he's about to do with Lazarus. That's what we're looking at. So yeah, the disciples are cautious. Yeah, they're concerned and justifiably so is you're not really going to go there, are you? Well, yeah, I, actually we are. Actually we are. And here's why. Because you need it to strengthen your faith. And how much do you and I need our faith strengthened? All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. I thank you for spending this time with me. I hope you're enjoying this time in our Bible study. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful evening and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We're going to close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. 
Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. Well, again, I hope you have a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a great one. God bless. Thank you.